Psalm, the 27th chapter, and I am so excited to teach this message this morning. Darren has no idea how prophetic all of the songs kind of flowed together. Uh, when you read this psalm, you'll understand. Psalm 27, I want to look at these uh, six verses. Uh, David is writing, he says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and they fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this will I be confident. And one thing have I desired of the Lord that I will seek that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to dwell, behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me upon a rock and now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praise to the Lord. Father, we thank you for your word today, and I pray that you speak to our hearts and give us ears to hear and a heart to understand everything that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated uh, this morning. Look at somebody before you are and tell them good morning. We are so excited to see each and every one of you this morning. We're going to be finishing our, our series that we started for the month of October uh, today. So we're going to finish the Haunted series. And next Sunday, we're jumping into something altogether brand new uh, with a series that I've entitled Thanks Living, because Thanksgiving is supposed to be more than a holiday. Amen. So we're going to look at our attitude as we get into the holiday season. And because uh, uh, what I found out is sometimes people need a checkup from the neck up. Amen? And so we're going to have a, a look at our attitude and in the Beatitudes and different things of that nature. So it's going to be a really great time. But this morning, we're going to finish this up. Over the course of the last few weeks, we have been studying about things that haunt us. We looked at haunted by doubt and how the, the man said, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. We've looked at uh, being haunted by uh, condemnation and guilt and shame and how all of those things come against our lives. But this morning, I want to talk to you about being haunted by fear, haunted by fear, uh, based on the evidence Surrounding the month of October, we live in a culture that propagates and capitalizes on fear. Uh, we see it sold in the marketplace. Um, uh, beside that, uh, in the last season of life that we've lived through this pandemic, um, everybody in this room understands and realizes the reality of COVID-19 and, and how it affected uh, each person differently. And some of us in families suffered great loss. But one thing that we can agree with, whether or not you're on this side of the political spectrum or on this side of the political spectrum, is that the, the secular media uses fear to propagate their agenda. And so all of us understand that this thing called fear is something that really grips our life. But here's what I want to tell you this morning. God does not want his people to live under the cloud of fear. 
God wants His people to walk in such a level of peace and trust that no matter what comes against us, we have this confidence. If God be for me, then who can be against me? Amen. Paul told his spiritual son Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. He said, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. See, God does not want you to walk around with this spirit of fear. Notice he calls fear a spirit right here. He said, but he wants you to have a spirit of power and a spirit of love and a sound mind. One way we can say that this morning is soberness of thought. God wants us to have soberness of thought. Now, when we begin to look at fear, we've got to understand that in the, in the Psalms especially, David mentions fear a lot. He mentions how it, 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 it gripped his heart at time to time. But this morning, I want us to focus on how we can get free from the haunt of fear. Getting free from the haunt of fear. Uh, let me just tell you, scientifically, when you look at psychology and uh, psychiatric medical journals, you find out that there are literally lists of hundreds, if not thousands, of phobias. People are afraid of everything that exists under the sun. Uh, they call these phobias. And so oftentimes there's a, a root word attached to the front of those. One of those is called germophobia. How many germophobes do I have in the house? Amen. When, when, uh, whenever uh, the, the pandemic happened and... and uh, Hand sanitizer was in short supply. Some people really went into a tizzy, right? Because we have germophobia. And so those are people that are afraid to get dirty. They're constantly washing their hands, even when they don't really need to. And people are afraid of germs. Then there's something called arachnophobia. How many of you know what that is? It's a fear of spiders. Does anybody have a, a fear of spiders, right? Right? Well, nobody, I don't like them. If you like spiders, you're just weird. Um, then there's the fear of snakes. I kind of walk in that category. The only snake I'm not afraid of is the devil. Rattlesnakes, I stay away from. Amen. So, um, I'm not that type of Pentecostal. Hallelujah. I don't, if you hand me a snake, I'm making you a new door. I promise you. Right through the sheetrock. We'll ask for forgiveness later. But we're right up on out of here. We don't mess with snakes. But uh, there's all types of fear. There's, there's fear of flying. Some people won't fly. There's some people who won't. Uh, this is a crazy superstitious fear. It, it's even manifested in the architecture of a lot of buildings today. If you go to some hotels that are very big, there is no floor 13. Uh, they, there's a superstitious thing about fear and, and, and 13 being the unlucky number uh, according to the world standards. But uh, there's all types of fear. And I want you to know that fear is a very real thing. And the adversary uses fear in our lives to stop us in our tracks, to keep us from walking in our purpose, and ultimately from retreating from the very things that God has for our lives. And so this morning, that's what I want to talk about. But I want to I give you a little bit of insight this morning, a window into my life, if you will. There are several of you in this room, you've probably never heard this piece of my testimony 
but I want to share it with you. Those of you who happened to get the book I published two years ago, I have a testimony. It's in the chapter uh, of my Jonah season. You can go back and read that. But I didn't even really elaborate in it there a lot. But I want to talk to you about a season of my life where I wrestled with fear. Uh, it was intense fear. In fact, Blondie and I got um, engaged. I met her when I was in the 10th grade, okay? We met when I was in the 10th grade. We dated for a year. Then in my junior year of high school, I proposed to her. And then upon graduating, we were set to get married in July the 21st of 2001. And so uh, our anniversary, uh, we're coming up on almost 22 years and uh, been together longer than that. But the first five years of our marriage were trying to say the least. Uh, most people would not have made it uh, when you had experienced what we experienced. First of all, we were a bunch of young kids. We were broke. How many of you know that adds enough stress to a marriage right there? My grandpa used to tell, tell my brothers, you can't live on love alone. How many of you know there's, there is a level of truth to that? <laughs> you can love each other all day, but at the end of the day, you got to buy groceries. Amen. And gasoline and things of those nature. And so we had the, the added stress and trying to get together and we scrounged up to buy this little mobile home. It was dilapidated and you could see the, uh, the, the actual the sunshine through the floor. I mean, it was terrible. There was no insulation. We bought it from a man who owned uh, chicken houses. And, and uh, he said, if you, can, if you think it'll make it, moving it from here to there, I'll sell it to you. Now, if you have to preface something by those words, that's pretty risky. <laughs> but thankfully, the guy who moved it for us knew how to move stuff, and it actually made it to where it needed to go. But anyway, it won't, it won't take up a long time, but I felt I had no intention of sharing this this morning, and then the Holy Spirit gave me a vision in my mind's eye that I needed to share this because somebody is going to get delivered from a spirit of fear. So, 18 years old, I graduate high school, May of 2001, and I go right into the workforce. I had no intention of going to college, nobody else. My family went to college. Uh, it, many of you know my story. At this point, my relationship with God was on hiatus. In other words, I backslid when I was 16, and I was like Jonah, and I ran far the other direction. Graduated high school at 18, I, I'd gotten in with a group. A, a secular band. They played bars. They played clubs. Uh, I was playing in places that an 18-year-old is really not permitted to go into, but because I was a part of the entertainment, they allowed me clearance to go in. And so we were doing that almost every weekend in Texas and Louisiana and Arkansas, playing anywhere that would let us to play. And I was working a full-time 50 to 60-hour secular job in a factory simultaneously in the middle of all of this. And my particular job in that season of life was I was a machinist. We um, actually made shower enclosures for houses, new builds, new contracts. And we also made bleacher seats for the Indy 500 and, and football stadiums. And so they would come out of the, the raw billet, anodized and however they were coated, and they would cut them. Then they would send them to me, and we would put the holes and the notches where they were to go. And then we would send them on to the shipping department after we packed however many needed to go together out the door, and there they went. That was my job. How many of you know that when you're using industrial machinery, it's important that you be awake and alert? Well, when you're 18, you feel like you can conquer the world. 
And, you know, we were newly married and, and I was enjoying living this life. And, and, and my guys would still want me to play on the, uh, on, the, on the off nights with them that I could. And so I was working a swing shift, two weeks days, two weeks evenings, two weeks graveyards. And these nights where I was working late into the night, I was still going to, to, to either uh, party with the friends immediately after or I would run straight from them to work and work all night long. One night in particular, it was um, getting ready for me to get off work. It had pushed up till about, oh, I guess it would be about 6 or 7 in the morning at this time. I'd gotten to work at 11 o'clock that night. was tired. I was exhausted. And I never was one to really fool around with a lot of illicit drugs when I was a teenager. That's the God honest truth. I experimented with marijuana, but that's about it. But um, this guy that I knew at work had, I call it, now don't laugh, okay? This is what I call it. I call it truck stop meth. Because they used to have these pills behind the counter that were made for like truckers to stay up all night and not fall asleep at the wheel. And I think it was ephedrine or something like that. It's since been outlawed or classified as a scheduled drug. But I've never taken anything like that before. The, the hardest thing that I had ever taken stimulant-wise up until this point was Mountain Dew. Come on, somebody. That's the truth. Uh, coffee was not popular for young people to drink at that time. I mean, I'm, I'm telling my age now, but I'm in the era before Starbucks. I mean, I thought coffee was only gr- grandma drank that. Amen. So um, we were, uh, I, I took that, and he gave me a couple of them, and it didn't do anything. And I'm thinking, man, i got to get off work. And I lived about 18 miles outside of town, and I was extremely dreadful and fearful of falling asleep at the wheel. Seriously. I just did not trust myself going home. So it didn't kick in, so I got a few more from him, and I took a couple of more. And then it still didn't do anything. And so I took almost the equivalent of about half a bottle. And then when I got ready to get off work... I still wasn't feeling anything. So break, the break room uh, was transitioning from the night shift to the morning shift. They had taken the old pot of coffee off, put it on top of the Bunsen burner, and it was, it was cold, and they had a new pot of coffee brewing. So what I did was I took that 20-ounce styrofoam cup of that cold coffee, and I poured it full, and I said, well, if it worked for Grandma, it'll work for me. And I filled it up, and I turned it up, and I held my nose, and I drank it, and almost gagged. And, you know, I got in the car, and I got about five minutes outside of town when every ounce of those stimulants hit me like that. This was in the day where you didn't have unlimited cell phones. These young people have no clue, do they? (laughs) There was no unlimited cell phone, and you had to pay per text. Come on, somebody. Pay per text. There wasn't no one line, one, one word text. You, you, you got the paragraph in. You did whatever you had to do. But anyway, so I, I ended up calling. I was still living with my mom at that time. This was May. We were getting married in July. I called, I called my mom, and I was, I was just, I don't know. My heart was beating in the back of my throat. I felt like elephants were sitting on my chest. I literally thought that at 18 years old, I was having a heart attack. It was the worst feeling ever. She came, got me, took me to the hospital. They gave me something to reverse this. And then I went on my way. And I wish that I could tell you that that was the end of it. But it was not the end of it. This started a five-month span of one of the most difficult times in my entire life. Um, I went home, got some rest. 
then all of a sudden, in the middle of the night, I would pop back up in my chair, and I would relive this all over again. Sweating, heart racing, in the back of my throat. Feel like I'm suffocating. Feel like I'm choking on air. And then Blonnie would reach over and try to calm me down and, and whatever, and it was, it was terrible. This was a terrible season. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. Then I was trying to just live life and didn't understand what was going on. I, I remember I ate a bag of microwave popcorn one night. And, you know, sometimes those kernels can get stuck in the back of your throat. And I remember trying to swallow, and that fear and that terror popped back up. That heart began to race again. That sweat began to break out. I didn't realize what was happening. What was happening was I was having severe anxiety attacks. It was debilitating. Debilitating to the point where I was afraid to drive. Debilitating to the point to where I ended up losing my job that I had just gotten because every job back in those days, I'm not sure how some of those do now, but I had a 90-day probationary period where they can fire you for any reason that they want to. And so I ended up losing my job, losing everything at this point. And I went from doctor to doctor to doctor and they couldn't figure out what was wrong. One doctor said, well, you just have the jitters because you're about to get married. I said, I promise you that's not it. Another doctor uh, went to prescribe me all types of anti-anxiety medicine, and, and I tried it, and it made me feel worse. For five months, this was the darkest season of my life. Uh, what I didn't tell you, and I didn't want it to be gross this morning, but that choking on the popcorn that day made it extremely fearful for me to eat. So I couldn't keep food down. I was constantly gagging, dry heaving, five, six, seven, eight, nine times a day. Newly married, broke, full of anxiety. Nothing that I could do would fix it. Nothing. No medicine, no anything. The world seemed extremely dark. The month of May passed, and then June and July came, and August breezed through. Then in September, something very miraculous happened in our lives. God began to position us back to return to Him, to quit running. I remember that middle of that month of September when by my bedside I rededicated my life to Christ. I had been running from Jesus for two years, running for two years. Got into all types of illicit things, vileness, profane speech, you name it. Just running from God in the opposite direction. And I remember Blonnie got saved that day at our bedside. And I rededicated my life to Christ. And, and in that moment, in that instant, those panic attacks, that fear, that nausea, those things. Listen, I am not exaggerating this morning. It left in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The no sooner than we said in Jesus' name, amen, it never came back again. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. Here's what I want to tell you. That there's no fear that has ever met its match in the presence of a holy God. Jesus has not called us to fear. He's caused us to take courage and to have faith. And this morning, I want to give you a glimmer of hope today. If you're dealing with fear and dread and worry and sleeplessness and anxiety, there is hope in the name of Jesus.
There's hope in the name of Jesus. David in Psalm 27 is writing this passage. And I want to read it again. He says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me. And how many of you know they did come against David? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and they fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war may rise against me. In this I will be confident. Because there's one thing that I've desired and that will I seek. That I might dwell in the house of the Lord all of the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble, He will hide me in His pavilion. In the secret place of His tabernacle, He will hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in His tabernacle. Notice this. He said, I will sing. Yes. I will sing praise to the Lord. You know what David was saying? When the the armies surround me, when my adversaries try to kill me, there's one thing that I know. When I go to the house of God, I will sing praise to God. I will lift up a joyful sacrifice unto him. Let me just translate it to you on Sunday morning talk. David was saying this, this is how I fight my battles. Come on. This is how I face my adversary. I get in the presence of God and I know that Jesus has the answer to it. I want to help you overcome fear this morning. There are three very simplistic things that I want to share with you. First of all, number one, you can write this down. Write it in the margin of your Bible or whatever whatever you want to do. If you feel yourself coming under an attack... The first thing you need to do, number one, is you need to recognize fear. The first thing we've got to recognize is fear. See it for what it is. That's the first step to deal with it. I I opened up this morning talking to you about the fact that there are some unhealthy fears. There's fear of snakes, fear of water, fear of flying, fear of commitment. There are a lot of phobias people deal with. But I want you to know that not all fear is bad. In fact, Proverbs tells us in the very first chapter that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. There is a healthy fear. Um, Let me me tell you, um, when I say I'm afraid of snakes, I don't mean it in the same way people talk about being afraid at Halloween. Um, The word fear, when when it refers to the fear of the Lord, it's a holy reverence. It's a reverence. I know God has forgiven me. I know that he loves me. But I don't just come at him any kind of way. Because there is a fear, a reverence, and awe of the Lord. That's the way it is with snakes. When I see one, I just walk in the other direction. Why? I have a healthy fear. Um, It's a healthy fear to not put your hand on a hot stove. Right? Right? See, all fear is not bad. The fear that I'm talking about is the type of ungodly fear that causes you to be crippled in your walk with Him. It's the fear of a failed marriage. It's the fear of a failed business. It's the fear of a doctor's report. It's the fear of these two ungodly words. What if? What if? I don't want to ask the question this morning, literally, so I'll ask it introspectively. How many of you have ever laid awake at night, haunted by the two words, what if? 
What if? We ought to recognize fear because this fear is filled with negativity and it brings with it paralysis, causes us to cease in our very footsteps. So we got to recognize it. Those of you who are facing these hellish things in your life, maybe it's nightmares, maybe it's recurring dreams, maybe, maybe there's some, something you've opened up yourself to throughout the years. And you know, sometimes good, good godly people suffer with things and, and you find out throughout the, the, the course of conversation or the Holy Spirit revealing it to you that they've opened a door somewhere in their life for the adversary to come in and not possess them but to torment them. So when fear comes, first of all, we've got to recognize that fear is real and we've got to recognize what its assignment is. Here's the second thing. Are you ready? Not only do we recognize fear, but number two, we've got to resist fear. Now, if God's called us to resist fear, which to resist means to push force against. It means to to exercise force against it. When people do resistance training at the gym, they take weight, load-bearing weight, and they exert themselves against it. So, in other words, if we're called to resist fear, then that must mean that we're not called to entertain fear. Come on, somebody. We're not called to entertain it. Here's what I want to tell you. When fear comes, you have a choice. The choice is, do I sit here and entertain it and get in and and allow it to have its way in my life? Or when fear comes, do I resist the fear? Well, the answer is, my friend, we've got to resist it. We've got to resist it. Why? Because fear... As 2 Timothy says, it's a spirit. Now, whether or not you want to say that's a mindset or it's a legitimate spirit, I'll let you figure that out. But the Bible calls fear a spirit. This is why I've never understood Christian fascination with scary things. I want you to look at the fruit of fear. Anxiety, sleeplessness, ulcers, depression, suicide. All of those things are good enough reason to kick fear out of your life. All of those things are good enough reason to give give fear a permanent wave goodbye in your heart. Amen? We've got to kick out fear. We've got to kick it out. When you start resisting fear, you refuse its place in your life. You know, the Bible says uh, in the book of James, he says, neither give place to the devil. What does it mean to give somebody a place? You prepare a place, you allow them a place in your life, whether that's through something you're watching or something you're listening to or thoughts that you're thinking, you're allowing the enemy to come in and build strongholds in your mind. You know what stronghold is, right? A stronghold is a fortified city behind enemy lines that the enemy has gotten a foothold in and he's built himself a safe place. That's what a stronghold is. But you know what the Bible says about strongholds? They're made to be torn down. How do we tear them down? We take hold of every thought, every imagination, and we bring it captive to the things of God, and we cast down and tear down strongholds. We're to resist the spirit of fear. Now, for some of you, you, this may seem irrelevant to you. But I would surmise that all of us being human, we're saved. God lives on the inside of us if we're born again. We're made in the image of God. But 
yet we still have flesh that we have to deal with. We have to crucify it. We have to subject it to the Word of God. We've got to renew our minds to God's thoughts. But unless you've been on the other end of the doctor's table, where you just went in for a checkup, and the doctor says, we see this little spot on your x-ray right here. Cancer. And for a second, even if you're a person of faith, sometimes, even for a second, that spirit of fear will try to lasp on to you. In your mind, within 30 seconds, you've already planned your funeral. The enemy's already told you this is it. This is the end of the road. This is the end of the line. You're not going to make it. And all of a sudden, that fear comes. But let me tell you something. When the enemy brings fear of that nature into your heart, you know, I, I, I've dealt with this one myself. You know, you have to tell the devil sometime, devil, you know what? You bring at me what you may. But at the end of it all, the worst thing that you can do is kill me. Because here's what Jesus said. Fear not he that can destroy the body, but he, fear him that can destroy both the body and the soul. By casting it into hell. The only person I'm going to fear is to fear the Lord. Come on, somebody. So when the enemy comes with his lies and his tactics, we've got to say, you know what? Do what you want to do. Do it how you want to do it. But at the end of the day, I'm going to resist these lies. And I'm going to stand on God's word. So what? The enemy comes and brings a negative report. You say, well, pastor, well, that's real. Well, I mean, it may be the facts. But the facts isn't always the truth. The facts may say cancer. But the truth says, he who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. The Scripture says, he that was on a tree in the book of Galatians bore our sicknesses there. The truth of God's word says, by his stripes we are healed. And the enemy can come and say what he wants to, but we've got to resist the fear. For some of you in this room, I feel this this morning, it's the fear of a divorce. Your parents have been divorced over and over and over again. And you've broken that cycle and, and now, now the enemy comes and says, yep, it's just a matter of time. Just a matter of time. And there's a spirit of fear that comes and grips you. Or maybe it's with your children. Or maybe it's with your job. People deal with this a lot. You know, people don't understand the stress of owning your own company. Some people gripe about their job. But it's easier to sleep at night when you're not responsible. For all the taxes, for all the payroll, for all the property. Whether there's any business or not. And there's, there's people that, that deal with fear. Uh, we saw it during COVID. People were dealing with fear on how they were going to keep things running, how they were going to keep things going. But when fear comes into your life, friend, listen to me, you must resist it with everything that is within, in the inside of you. You've got to kick it to the curb. And real simply, number three, not only must we resist fear, but we've got to replace fear. Where does fear come from? comes from information that we perceive, our thoughts, things that we hear, things that we meditate on, things that we allow access into our lives. So the only way to kick fear to the curb is to replace it. Number one, you replace it with love. Because the Bible says in, in John, 
perfect love casts out all fear. You've got to replace fear with love. The next thing you have to do is you have to replace fear with faith. You have to replace fear with faith. When Paul was writing to the church at Ephesus and he told us to put on the full armor of God. That you may be able to withstand the evil day. While he's talking about the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness and and the belt of truth and, and all of those things. One of those things he mentions is take up the shield of faith. Because when the enemy comes, and he will, even in Jesus' life, he came. When the enemy comes and fear tries to come and attach its ugly tentacles on the inside of you, you have to hold up this shield of faith. And so when the enemy comes in the middle of the night with these thoughts and these ideas and these what-ifs, you have to say, you know what? I'm going to build myself up in my faith. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to hold up the Word of God. And I'm going to use it as a shield against the enemy. Got to replace fear with the Word of God. Another place in Colossians, Paul writes, he said, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are holy, whatsoever things are noteworthy, whatsoever things are pure, think on these things. And the peace of God will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. You've got to replace fear. What was David's resolve when David was dealing with this? I want you to go back with me the last couple of verses in Psalm 27, in in this particular section, rather. Notice what he said. For in the time of trouble, verse 5, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock, And all my head shall be lifted up with my enemies all around me, above them. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. Yes, I will sing praise to the Lord. I want to close with this. Here was David's resolve when it came to fear. You ready? Very simple. Number one, he said, the Lord is my light. Can I tell you, no, no matter how dark it is, No matter how dark of a moment you're in, no matter what season you're in, the Lord is your light. The Lord is your light. You know what you have to do to dispel darkness? It's real easy. You just have to turn the light on. You have to turn the light on. Because light cannot, or darkness rather, cannot dwell in the presence of light. So you have to turn the light on. So we got to take confidence that in the darkest hours of our life, we've got to run to Jesus because Jesus is the light. He's the one that we run to. He's the one that we cling to. He's the one that we hold to. And in the middle of our darkness, He will rise in victory. The Lord is my light. Then David says this, He will hide me in the day of trouble. Do you know that the Lord can hide you? He can hide you from the storm. He can guard you in the middle of all of it. 
You can be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom in the middle of the most difficult places of their life, they knew the Lord had them. I will not fear. You know how crazy it was when they came to look on Daniel and they saw that he wasn't eating up, but he was laying there taking a nap and the lion was sitting there just with a smile on his face? Confused is the enemy when we don't respond the way he wants us to respond. But the Lord will hide us in the day of trouble. Then the third thing, and David was a worshiper. In the middle of fear, in the middle of all of these things, and people tell us that David, in Psalm 27, this was written while he was running from Saul. was running from Saul was jealous David didn't do anything but honor him you know sometimes in the middle of darkness you can be doing everything right and people still want to get you David was honorable David could have killed Saul several times David was friends with Jonathan Uh, there were all different types of things but yet Saul was so insecure that he tried to kill him. And scholars say that Psalm 27 was likely written during the time where where David was feeling alone, on the run, hiding in a cave. But he said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. In him will I trust, of whom will I be afraid? Though the wicked come to me to eat up my flesh they stumbled and they fell every time the enemy tried to come in and do something against David in that situation God was so faithful to bring deliverance but I can just imagine David though he was anointed to be king though God had promised him great position he never forgot who he was Let me tell you, because long before David was a king, he was just a shepherd. On the backside of the wilderness, tending his father's sheep. David would get the sheep all situated and get them laid to rest. Some of the earlier Psalms record David's laying there with his harp. He's playing it. Psalm 8 is one of my favorite psalms. David says, When I consider the heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, the works of your hands, who is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you visited. For you've made him a little lower than the angels, King James says. The original language says you've made him a little lower than Elohim. You've made him in the image of God. Crowned him with loving kindness and tender mercies. David is sitting here admiring God with that shepherd's staff and that instrument. And let me tell you, the skills that David learned by worshiping God with that harp, those were the skills that kept him through the darkest moments of his life. Because, and I want you to stand right now, 
no matter what David went through, don't miss this. He never forgot how to worship. He never forgot how to worship. Do you know that when you go through dark seasons, what the enemy wants you to do actually is to lose your song. He wants you to be so discouraged, so broken, so hurt, so afraid that you sit there in a corner like a little beat down puppy afraid to bark. But David learned something in the middle of hard times that when I feel like I'm enveloped all around me, I know that I can sing praise to God because David understood something about warfare. See, it was David who wrote that God inhabits and sits upon the the, the praises of his people. He understood there was something about when he began to exalt the name of the Lord, he understood that when he began to lift up the name of God, that, that enemy strongholds came down. This morning, I want us to pray in just a moment.